zero information, silence. It's, it's hard not to see this as a blatant cover-up. Why the silence by the media? In Jammu and Kashmir, we are facing an undeclared war from across the western border. It's just three months since India decided that it all had to change in Kashmir. It tore up the region's special status and imposed direct rule from Delhi. Thousands of people were arrested and a communications blackout imposed. My guest this week here in London is Jay Panda, national vice president and one of the chief spokesmen of the ruling BJP. How does he answer the charges of widespread human rights violations in Kashmir that are reported to be continuing to this day? Jay Panda, welcome to Conflict Zone. Thank you. A month before your government imposed a lockdown in Kashmir, the UN's chief human rights official issued a report examining the state of human rights in the region between May 2018 and April this year. It claimed that in that 12-month period, the number of civilian casualties, around 160, were thought to have been the highest in more than a decade, and it said 71 of them had been victims of India's security forces. The UN says you have a poor record of investigating such killings. Why is that? First of all, I think it's uh, wrong to call it a lockdown. People in Jammu and Kashmir are free to move around. They visit other parts of India. People from other parts well, of India have... not the thousands that you've arrested, no. They're, no. Let me, they're let me not come free to do anything. Let me they? come to the detention parts. 99% of the area of Jammu and Kashmir does not have any restraints. Now, regarding the human rights issues, there are 42,000 people that have been killed in Jammu and Kashmir because of terrorists operating with the support of a country to our west. And this doesn't get adequate attention. And the people who are shot by Indian forces, by the way, Indian forces have not killed any civilians in the recent past. The people who are carrying AK-47s, the people who are carrying grenades, are terrorists. Mr. Panda, three years ago, in 2016, five investigations were launched by your government into extrajudicial executions, but to this day no information has been received. Why would that be? The Indian government takes very seriously any such allegations, and while there may have been mistakes decades ago, uh, you We're talking have about seen, 2016. Yes, but I'm talking about not just 2016, but well, can we just years. deal with this particular incident? Yes. Because yes. three years on, not only is there no verdict in any of these cases, there's no way of knowing if the investigations are still going on or been parked indefinitely in a black Nothing hole. is going to be parked indefinitely. Zero there been, information. There Silence. have been verdicts on other similar allegations, and there will be verdicts in these cases as well. When? How well, long are you going to take over it? The judicial process has a way to go through, and you cannot expect... Uh, arbitrary decisions. So why the silence? Why the complete silence about whether the investigation is still ongoing? Well, I mean, zero information, silence. It's, it's hard not to see this as a blatant cover-up. Why the silence by the media about the 42,000 people that, are being that have been killed? Why the silence? Well, I don't answer for the media. Well, I mean, you are I part of the media. the media. You are part of the media. And listen... I'm sitting here the, questioning you, and you have an opportunity to talk about... I'm, I'm clarifying. I'm clarifying. Your point. The point is, you must see the larger picture. And I'm, I've said very openly that wherever there are such allegations, there have been verdicts in other cases, and there will be verdicts based on justice. The UN report speaks of arbitrary detention and so-called cordon and search operations that have led to a range of human rights 
violations. And it says that accountability for violations committed by members of the Indian security forces remains virtually non-existent. That's their words, virtually non-existent. That's a shocking record, isn't it? Well, first of all, I disagree with that. But this seems blindingly oblivious to the larger problem of terrorism that is emanating with support from across the border. Listen, I know you would like to widen the discussion out away from India's responsibilities. It's not away, it's part of the problem. You know, the, the terrorism There's plenty that of attention that is given you to mean what 42,000 people is being doing. killed is not a problem? 42,000 people have been killed. We're not ta- a problem? We're talking about India's responsibility. I'm talking about... And, and, you want to, and you want to widen the issue. The major, the major block on accountability has been the Armed Forces Special Powers Act, hasn't it? I think which that's... Is, a, I think which that's has a, prevented your security forces being prosecuted without government permission. Okay, so I think that's a great question. Allow me to finish my answer. The, a, the Armed Forces Special Provision Act has been removed in the state of Tripura. It has been removed in the state of Meghalaya. It has been partially removed in the state of Arunachal Pradesh. Why? Because the situation, the security situation has improved. In Jammu and Kashmir, we are facing an undeclared war from across the western border. And this is not getting adequate attention. You need to focus on that. So it's the politicians who decide and have done for almost 30 years whether cases involving security forces in Jammu and Kashmir can even be heard by the courts. It's a do-as-you-please law, isn't it? It's for your armed forces, get away with everything. The world's largest democracy, decisions are not taken by individuals. There's a parliament that's elected by an electorate of 900 million people. There are checks and balances in place. I've just answered that the AFSPA has been removed in more than two states. The Armed Forces Special Powers Act. Yes. Well, the UN Special Rapporteur on Extrajudicial Killings, Christoph Heinz, said in the past, retaining such a law as this runs counter to the principles of democracy and human rights. Not when you have a warlike situation. And, uh, you know, I'm telling you here that it's being removed where the situation is normalizing. And you must recognize... We're talking about Jammu and Kashmir. Yes, so so in Jammu and Kashmir, the situation is in transition. It will get normalized. Look, I think the wider situation that you don't want to talk about is important for your viewers to understand. I'm talking about those things that you are responsible for. How many times has the central government in Delhi allowed a prosecution of armed forces for alleged human rights abuses in civilian courts over the last 30 years, three decades? How many times has the the government allowed a prosecution? You know, the armed forces have their own court-martial process. And that's there in every democracy, not just in India. How many times have armed forces personnel been prosecuted for alleged human rights violations? Several times. How many? How many? I don't have a number. The fact is that, according to you, and not a single time, not even once, not one prosecution of armed forces personnel was granted by a sitting Indian court in a civilian court. So, in The world is meant to believe that, without exception, over three decades, every single member of your security forces behaved like angels. No, I think you are being blindingly oblivious or deliberately trying to obfuscate that the Armed Forces Special Provision Act is in, in, uh, in force in Jammu and Kashmir, and that is because of a warlike situation, which is why military courts deal with such allegations. And you must recognize, this is the third time I'm pointing out, that this is not something that is unilaterally decided by any individual or by an unaccountable government, and it has been removed in states where the situation has improved. It will, in future, be removed in Jammu and Kashmir. What about the use of metal pellets in in, in Jammu and Kashmir? In its last report, the UN spoke of alarming numbers of deaths and life-changing injuries caused by your security forces' use of shotguns firing metal pellets. Children have been among the victims. Uh, The stone throwers that you've been referring to 
uh, have in the past, used to be many decades ago, responded with uh, riot responses involving bullets. So that was scaled down to go down to pellets, which is far less deadly uh, rather than use uh, uh, guns. And, Among and those stone throwers, you count a 19-month-old girl who was shot in her right eye? Would no, of course, the 19 months. Would she have been a good target for your forces? No, that's a very unfair thing to say. You must also refer to all those videos of Indian forces behaving with great forbearance against enormous attacks, deadly attacks, with stones and bottles. And these are organized riots. These are funded by terrorist organizations recognized by the United Nations. You must also shed light on them. According to the main hospital in Kashmir that treats such injuries, Srinagar's Sri Maharaja Hari Singh Hospital, 1,253 people have been blinded by metal pellets fired by your security services just in two and a half year period from mid-2016 up until the end of last year. 1,253 people now sightless. Now, steps have been taken to further reduce the kind of uh, measures being taken to control such uh, attacks what on does the security that mean? forces. Measures what it means taken. is, whereas earlier thousands of people used to be at risk because of firing of real bullets, it came down to using pellets, and today even that is used only in the rarest of rare circumstances. Government data from 2017 showed the weapon killed 13 people and injured more than 6,000 in eight months alone. Nearly 800 people sustained eye injuries. Knowing those risks and those statistics, the inescapable conclusion is that your forces intended to cause those injuries, didn't they? No, our forces intended to maintain peace and law and order. And, you know, you can't keep... Uh, you know, focusing only on uh, specific casualties without looking at the warlike situation that we are facing. And it is important to recognize that the current situation that has developed in Kashmir since August is that an article which was the only article called temporary in our constitution has been diluted. And this is creating a lot of uh, misguided uh, communications internationally, whereas Article 370 provided shelter to all kinds of horrible things. Uh, it did not allow 106 Indian laws passed by Parliament and the Supreme Court's rulings to apply in Kashmir, including LGBTQ rights, including women's rights, including yeah, minority rights. I think we're getting rights. slightly off the subject here. I, it's amazing to me, I talk about 1,253 people who are sightless, and you talk about LGBT rights somewhere else in India. Do no, you, I'm talking do, about Jammu and Kashmir. Do, do you not, no, no, I'm not do, talking do about you, somewhere else. All right, in India. okay, but do you not care about these 1,253 people? Do you why? not care about the 42,000 people that have been killed? So why are there no apologies? Why are there no apologies for for these blinding? It is why no redress in it the is, courts? It is regrettable when any such injury takes place. But this is actually a scaling down of the kind of violence that exists. Why no existed. redress in the courts? Why no apologies? There will be. There will be. When? There will be action in the courts. No proper you know, compensation for these people? Of course there will be compensation if really? anybody is. Yes, of course there will be. Let's talk about what happened in August. Um, whatever the declared reasons for India's action, increased security threats, smuggling, etc., better uses of resources, it became an excuse for a large number of arrests and detentions that continue to this day. On what grounds were some 4,000 people deprived of their liberty. In fact, uh, when you say continue to this day, there have been releases taking place. Uh, again, there are still a thousand people held. It's, it's important to understand something, that this is an unfinished part of the Indian independence struggle 
and partition. Because when partition happened, imposed by the British, it happened with a certain set of circumstances. And similar restraints were put into place in the Punjab, in Rajasthan, in Gujarat. The point is, when these restrictions were put also in places like Bengal and Assam, it was because tens of thousands of people were killed in the partition violence. Now, right now, these restraints have been put into place because we had a choice of either having temporary restraints or permanent losses of lives. You haven't told me what these people had done. 4,000 people in Jammu and Kashmir after your August um, uh, changes, if you like, in the status of Kashmir, why 4,000 people were detained? You haven't told me why. I don't know that it is 4,000, but I will tell you that if the same detentions had happened in 1947 and 48, which we believe should have happened, then Jammu and Kashmir would have been integrated to India. Now, remember, so you don't, you don't know why these people No, were I helped. do know why these people. Many of them have gone on the record uh, questioning the constitution of India, questioning the They're not allowed to question anymore? They are allowed to question, but they're not allowed to take to arms. They are not allowed to smuggle arms and drugs. They are not allowed to indulge in money laundering to fund the likes of uh, Lashkar-e-Taiba and the likes of Jaish-e-Muhammad, which are operating from Pakistan and sending in jihadis, mujahideen, to kill in India. A month after your operation, the Supreme Court had to step in to tell your government to get on with restoring normal life as soon as possible, with one of the judges, Sharad Avind Bobde, calling the situation a terrible state of affairs. So uh, in the words of one of your own Supreme Court judges, you created a terrible state so of affairs. So you're not telling the full story here. So the Supreme Court is indeed hearing petitions regarding Jammu and Kashmir, but already restrictions had been removed gradually from after the first 24 hours. What the judge said is that they should continue, and the judge did not grant relief to the people who wanted these detentions to be taken away right away because of the security situation. So yes, indeed, these restraints must be removed. They are being removed, and it is a process. The court even had to order the authorities to transfer the sick leader of the Communist Party to hospital in Delhi because nobody was allowed to go in or out of his house. No. So no. they had to order basic humanitarian provisions. That's not true. That's a misrepresentation. Uh, some people are trying to misrepresent this because he was allowed to, to be shifted to hospital. There was a delay because of certain technicalities. Why is the, um, among those who held, why is the former chief minister Farouk now in his, Farouk Abdullah now in his 80s being also detained? Um, what kind of threat does he represent to the government of India these days? With due respect to Mr. Abdullah, with whom I have also served in parliament, uh, he did go around making very incendiary statements when Article 370 was diluted. Now, we have had a situation where people uh, have, on the surface, pledged allegiance to the Indian Constitution, but have straddled the ground which uh, flirts with uh, separatists, which flirts with uh, terrorists who are operating from across the border. And a lot of these separatists, uh, their own children aren't, they don't have any skin in the game. They all live abroad here in the UK and in the US. It's uh, but he also arrested his daughter and, and, and sister, who were simply holding up placards in the street. No, I, they were released. Uh, the point is this. 99% of the area of Jammu and Kashmir today has no restraints. And this has gradually been eased over the past uh, 10 or 11 weeks. Now, at a certain point, when more areas had certain restraints, yes, uh, public events were prohibited because of the law and order issue. 
Amnesty International has reported that lawyers and family members of the detainees are not informed of the grounds of their arrest, nor even the whereabouts of their clients and relatives. How can that be right in a democracy? When you have a warlike situation, the law that has been in place there uh, allows for a certain period of detention. Now, most You're talking of, about the Public Safety Act? Most of the prominent leaders are not kept in jail. They are kept in guest houses with security measures. Uh, as I, I keep repeating something, we had a choice, the Indian state had a choice between temporary restraints and permanent loss of lives. And you must recognize, it's only fair to point out that in these last 11 weeks, a large number of these restraints have been actually removed. But lawyers and family members are not informed of the grounds of their arrest, nor even the whereabouts of their clients and relatives. I come back to that question. They will how be. Is that, how is that um, allowed in a that democracy? Is, that, that, is, that is allowed by the Public Safety Act, passed by the former state of Jammu and Kashmir uh, for a certain period. It's not indefinite. It's for a limited period. But it's important to point out that the other restraints that you have referred to, for example, initially, uh, phone lines were not allowed. Today, not only all landlines, but all postpaid cell phone lines are already functional. Uh, when, are, when are foreign journalists going to be allowed in? So, as of yesterday, a group of EU members of parliament are visiting Jammu and Kashmir. Privately, see yes. for themselves. That's okay. Most, most members but of parliament. in Delhi have not been allowed Most to go. members of parliament, when they travel to other countries, and I've personally led many such delegations, do indeed travel privately and not as official representatives of their legislatures. Mr. Panda, the BJP doesn't like criticism, does it? One of, one of your rising political stars, Tejasvi Surya, captured the mood of the party in the recent election when he produced a video and proclaimed, if you are with Modi, you are with India, and if you are not with Modi, you are anti-India. Do you buy into that? You know, the slogan? reality is, Mr. Modi is extremely popular, and I think you would find, oh, poll after poll, like Pew surveys have pointed out, that uh, nearly three-fourths of the Indian population is with Mr. Modi. So he's technically but correct. But he got 40% of the population, didn't he? I'm sorry? 40% 40, 40 of the vote in the recent election. That's because of 40%. our voting system, yeah. of uh, the parliamentary system which we have inherited uh, from this country. If we had a presidential election, things might be quite different. But, but you didn't my point say is, whether you approve of that slogan. I said he's technically correct that the major... The, you know, the Pew surveys show that three-fourths of the people of India are with Mr. Modi. So he's right. But if I'm, you are not if with I'm Modi, not willing you're anti-India. Is that, is that your position? You're anti-India if you're not with Modi? No, it's possible. You vote for a different party, you're no. anti-India. Let me point out. It's, of course, possible to be against Mr. Modi and still not be anti-India. But sadly, many people in the opposition have taken stands or made comments which are being used by terrorist organizations, which are being used by the government of Pakistan, which is indeed anti-India. So if those people self-identify as being both against Mr. Modi and also anti-India, then that's their own choice. It's not just Pakistan and terrorists who are criticizing the position of your government, is it? Your, your ruling party is said to have instilled a climate of fear, something of which the world-renowned and respected Indian academic Amartya Sen highlighted recently. In an interview, he said people were scared of your government. I've never seen this before, he added. When someone says something critical of the government on the phone with me, they say, I'd better talk about it when I see you because I'm sure they're listening to this conversation. That's not a way to run a democracy, he says. It's also not a way of understanding what the majority wants. 
So, or is uh, he anti-India now? Why don't I answer that? Uh, with due respect to Professor Amartya Sen, he has an unstinted record of making st uh, statements against the BJP and against Prime Minister Modi. I think a better uh, alternative to look at would be the latest Indian economics Nobel laureate, uh, which is Abhijit Banerjee, who has a balanced track record of both criticizing some of the steps taken by our government, as well as supporting some of the deep-seated reforms that the Modi government is embarking on. But there are plenty of examples where you've been squeezing the space for free speech, haven't you? No, that's not true. Really? That's not true. Because we hear this week after week when people claim that their right to free speech is being squeezed. And where do we hear this? We hear this in television debates. We hear this in newspaper uh, columns. We hear this uh, on online statements. We hear this in public protests in India. That's a bit ironic, you don't you think? from Freedom House's latest report, which says that despite a vibrant media, Indian journalists risk harassment, death threats, and physical violence in connection with their work. Such attacks are rarely punished, and some have taken place with the complicity or active participation of police. Uh, I think it is shameful whenever any journalist uh, is attacked. Uh, indeed, there have been some attacks, uh, and maybe there are people complicit at a lower level. But prosecutions do happen, arrests do happen, and I can, you know, I can uh, tell you very comprehensively, it is not the Indian state, it is not the Indian government, and it is not the BJP which uh, condones this. What's telling is that your latest annual crime report, which is more than a year late, leaves out some rather important categories like attacks on journalists. Nothing about human rights violations by security forces or attacks by cow vigilantes. When asked about these gaps, your Home Affairs Ministry said that data for these categories had been withheld because it was unreliable and prone to misinterpretation. That's pretty heavy-handed censorship, isn't it? No, it isn't censorship. Let me explain. We have had a few cases of despicable vigilantism, but somehow uh, one section tries to portray it as if it's only about cow protection. It's not. We've unfortunately had vigilantism of people who are suspected child abductors, of people who are thieves. And when uh, mainstream media outlets try to portray all of them as only one kind of vigilantism, it shows that they have an agenda, and that needs to be disaggregated. So you don't put out the figures in case people might just draw the wrong conclusions? Not just from, might. That's, that's what... That's what Not said. just might. This that, is censorship. Allow no. people to make up their own minds. So. Uh, the commentator Anand Ranganathan, and I think you would do well to look into the research that he has put up, is that mainstream newspapers have tried to pass off as cow vigilantism all kinds of uh, violence that has taken place. And they try to portray only one kind of violence. They don't portray another kind of violence. They actively try to suppress it with an agenda. So it, I think so you the truth the needs figures. to... No, the truth needs to come out. It, it does not serve anyone's purpose to miscategorize one kind of violence as another kind. Mr. Panda, six years ago, long before you joined the BJP, you complained that the criminalization of politics in India had become a sad reality. You wrote then, getting elected has become a convenient shield to delay the legal processes and escape conviction. Why has your party done nothing about the large number of indicted people sitting in Parliament? In, in fact, fact, it's actually got worse. Hasn't in it? fact, my party has done a lot. By the way... So why are the figures I, worse now than they were when you wrote this? They, they aren't worse, actually. Let me explain. So this is not a new thing. We've had uh, 
the criminalization of Indian politics going back to several decades into the late 60s and early 70s, Prime Minister Modi has repeatedly called for fast-track courts to expedite the trials of elected officials. Conference, you don't have them. No, but you see, the, this, our judicial system requires, uh, you know, it's not just that government can push through these things. So we need judicial reforms, and that is something that not just I, but many in our party, led by the Prime Minister himself, are campaigning for. Let me just correct what you said. You said the figures weren't worse. The Association for Democratic Reform compared the numbers of indicted MPs elected to the lower house in the last two general elections, and the increase has been spectacular. In 2014, 34% of them faced declared criminal cases. By 2019, that had increased by almost 10% to 43%. The proportion of those facing serious charges had also shot up from 21 to 29%. So you're obviously not aware of the latest No, I am aware. I think you are not aware of something else. Several MPs have been disqualified from Parliament because of getting convicted. This was as a result of the campaign that many of us carried on. Uh, now, regarding those who have allegations against them, you call them indictments. We have, our system is uh, a little more complex. It's uh, taken from the British from many decades ago. The Election Commission has got tighter and tighter and enforcing declarations. Earlier, many of these facts were not being declared. So I, I don't think there has been actually an increase of criminal MPs. It, there has, in fact, been a decrease. <laughs> well, that's your supposition, but that's not... No, it's not my that's supposition. Not, but that's not borne out but by the Are figures. you not aware... That's are not you, borne out by are the you not aware that the Election Commission has, in fact, imposed more stringent guidelines for declarations of any charges being faced by people uh, contesting elections? So, so, sounds like it should have done. Jay Panda. Thank you very much for being on Conflict Zone. Thank you.